Hello? <laughs> good evening. I have no idea if this is working. Do I sound okay? You sound good. Okay. Yeah, what have you done differently? I I've moved my office around a little bit, and so like I disconnected everything, and I feel like, I don't know, the the recording of this sounds lower than normal, so Godspeed, sir. No, it sounds good. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I've got a new recording set up myself. So I've been trying to figure out how to record and limit the probability of being interrupted by baby noises. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes when people say baby noises, they mean the like cooing and sighing noises. Those are the ones that I'm not concerned about. It's more of the screeching and wailing uh, variety. I see. Yeah. And you saw my kids yesterday and they, they, they did not have any screeching and wailing. They were very well behaved. I mean, model baby citizens, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to really make Kyle mad, show him, <laughs> show him a baby that's behaved. Yeah, just be happy with your life choices. That's the <laughs> easiest way to make me angry. Instant, instant resentment. <laughs> you will see it. Yeah. So here's my new setup. So I want to have uh, an environment that's shielded from noise, but in my house there, you know, my, uh, the area that I work fr- uh, from is not really shielded from the upstairs noise. There's like yeah. television and baby sounds. And uh, the front porch is potentially totally shielded because it's basically a front door uh, yeah. that closes, and then it's it's uh, you know like a like a glass room. Mm-hmm. Uh, that generally is a good idea, except it's like thirty degrees today. Yeah, I was gonna say, except uh, winter just happened, right? So uh, <laughs> there, there were flurries outside no longer. So yeah. I literally have a uh, what is this called? Um, an Arcturix, like one of those uh, fancy ski jackets on, plus a... Um... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So so it's 30 degrees outside. Everyone's covering up their plants for unseasonable coolness. And you're like, you know what? To make the podcast good, I'm going to go sit in 30 degree weather. But I have my ski jacket on, so it's okay. I have a ski... ski... <laughs> you, you like this. So I, have, I have a ski jacket on. I have uh, a, like a long scarf that matches the ski jacket, which, you know... You know we're on radio, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it all matches, Kyle. I mean, it does. It's an orange ski vest and a matching uh, scarf. Um, and uh, and my my mom, who's out visiting, sees that I'm setting up, and she says, "Is the computer going to be okay?" <laughs> and I was like, "I think actually that's the only thing in this scenario that's that, that is okay." Nailed it. <laughs> exactly. Nailed it. I don't even think she was trying to be funny. Oh, so good. Anyhow, uh, it's good to be wow. back. We've got a new uh, new episode. And let me tell you, uh, in addition to sitting in literally freezing cold temperatures to record this, we also are going to uh, overlap with my beloved New England Patriots by a little bit. I so, know. I was thinking. I'm like, I was I was surprised you didn't just cancel the damn thing. <laughs> considered it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a grudge match rematch. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I know. I know. So uh, we're going we're gonna to stick to about 45 s- to 50 <laughs> minutes tonight, if you know what I'm saying. This is a 15 to 20 minute episode. <laughs> Just enough time to make the sponsors feel like it was worth it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay. So we have one topic today with yeah. three sponsors. We're going to stick okay. to this topic only, you know, not yep. including the, the, you know, dribble at the front end and the back end to... to entertain uh, our friends moving right along our friends and family <laughs> um but anyhow our, our topic today is open source software i'm, I'm gonna call it the economics of open source software okay um 
You still game for this? It's not clear you were actually game in the first place for this topic. Yeah, I was game. I'm not entirely sure I feel particularly strongly, but I am, I'm curious. I'm, I basically want to just riff off of you. I want to hear what you think, and I'll give you my two cents. Uh, okay. Because I've been thinking about this since you brought it up a fair amount, but I don't know that I, you know, not, this is not the hill I'm going to die on, to say the least. Me neither. Me neither. I hope to die in a hill when I'm very old. That's my only... My only <laughs> and I, I hope that I own the hill, actually. <laughs> I don't even care about that part. I just want to be old. It's the only consideration I have about the hill that I die on. Uh, okay, I say before we do that, why don't I read our first sponsor? And a, a quick aside. So I have been practicing my NFL films voice because... And I may sound like a really bad parent in this story. And, and maybe this is bad parenting. But I like, so today I was busy in the middle of the day and I wanted to read the, um, kind of read the stories about what happened in the first set of NFL games. Cause I like the NFL, but I hadn't seen the twins for a couple hours and I kind of felt guilty about that. So I tried to figure out how to integrate like hanging out with Ivy and reading on my phone, all the news about the NFL for the day. So I decided that it was good parenting. If I read to her, the NFL stories of the day. Because they say like any reading you do to kids yeah. is good. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they don't know the difference. <clears throat> and so I combined that with, uh, I tried to do it in the same voice that the NFL film guy, NFL films guy does. So, you know, anyways, this is what happens in my house during the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so I decided given that we're recording over the top of my NFL game, I will do all sponsor reads in the NFL films voice or my, my impression, impression. of it. Here we go. Squarespace is the easiest way to create a beautiful website, blog, or online store for you and your ideas. Simple, powerful, beautiful. Squarespace is always there for you when you need them. They offer 24 by 7 support via live chat and email. It starts at just $8 a month and you get a free domain if you buy Squarespace for the year. Every site made on Squarespace is automatically going to be responsive so your website scales to look great on any device. Commerce. Every website comes with a free online store. Cover pages. A feature that allows you to set up a beautiful one-page online presence in minutes. So go get started with a free trial. No credit card required. And start building your website today. When you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code. Now, funny side story on this. Uh, this huge list of websites that they've sponsored for 5 by 5 yeah, or, or not websites, uh, podcasts includes, I think every podcast that's ever been on five by five, but our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's leave those nerds out of this. Exactly. So we get to pick the podcast that I will give you the, uh, the code for. So why don't you use the code, uh, critical path. I like that show. So use the code critical path and, you know, we'll give them credit for this, uh, beautiful sponsor read. And you'll get 10% off uh, and show your support for that show, uh, <laughs> The Critical Path. <laughs> so thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of 5x5 and The Critical Path and the Ruby on Rails podcast. Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, open source software. So let's like start at the beginning. So I, there, there are many opinions about open source software. Well, I guess this is starting at the end and then we're going to go back to the beginning. And, you know, some of the things that I hear people say on Twitter and in my real life too, is kind of this resentment that 
big companies benefit from open source software and, you know, uh, people spend, people with privilege spend all their time outside of work working on the software that's just, you know, that's taken advantage of and they don't see anything for it. And there should be sort of commensurate, commensurate exchange of value between those that benefit from the open source software and those that actually do it. And it's unfair and unsustainable and this is all going to come crashing down and, you know, woe is us, basically. I mean, the woe is us was a little nasty at the end. I didn't really really mean that part, but the rest of it I did. Like, I mean, don't you think that's sort of the, there's like a, a, a prevailing wind in that direction from some yeah. corner of the programming community? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and, uh, and then, okay, so that's part one. And then part two is there's another set of people, and I don't think it's entirely the same set, but I think it's a, a pretty big set of overlapping you know, partially overlapping set of people that um, sort of believe that there should be an economy around programmers getting paid directly to write open source software. Since the work itself has value, then there should be an exchange of money for the labor for open source software, which like kind of is part of part one, but you know, it, it kind of has grown into its own thing. I mean, there was that grata, was it grata pay? get tip you know there's that whole thing yep. that got a little bit is popular. that still popular i don't think it's popular i think it exists you know that's, that was that that team's full-time job I, I i believe oh it definitely was yeah and they went is, that, like, i don't know I, I, yeah i think so and they went that like extreme openness thing which which kind of became as big of a deal as their mission to sort of facilitate payment for open source software and but but there's like a whole culture around that whether or not that company um still exists. I don't think that this sentiment went away from the community. Um, and there's something about the whole topic that's always struck me as, as off and okay. off. And by off, I mean that, um, kind of uh, that the sentiment is disconnected from really what the role of open source software has been and really what the value creation has been for open source software and like who's gotten the value. So that's what I want to talk about. Okay. All right. So, so let's, let's go back to the beginning now. So like, why, why do you think open source ever became a thing? Like what's your, what's your origin theory on it? Um, and I don't so, think there's like a right answer entirely on this. I think that, you know, open for interpretation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I'll say, I think why it's successful is primarily because it allows people who are interested in solving a problem, uh, an avenue that gives them distribution, um, outside of their employer. Um, and I also think it allows those same people with free time and whatever to collaborate with people, um, potentially probably outside of their employer. Um, now, I mean, I, I don't think that's ultimately why open source happened. You know, I think it was probably just a bunch of nerds like writing code, you know, to solve their own problem. And they're just like, well, I wrote it for myself, so I'll just like let the world see it. You know, I, I really I don't know that it was so altruistic as it sort of seems now. You know, where it's like I wrote this code, I'm going to let the world have it because they deserve it, and they're going to contribute back and all as well. Um, I feel like the most successful open source projects that I know about are, um, you know, people solving problems that are pretty interesting to them potentially in the long term. Um, like they have some passion for, and then it allows them to work with people they normally would have no reason or, you know, kind of like a possibility of working with, um, you know, as time goes on. I, so I think that's kind of like modern open source. I'm sure that's not what the first 
true open source project look like. But so I think you're right that there there is a like practically speaking, there is a benefit that comes to programmers now um, where they can use open source to scratch their their sort of personal itch to do work outside of whatever their jo- you know job or educational opportunities are giving them and give them a way to collaborate with people they wouldn't have otherwise seen. I think that's accurate. I don't think that that has much to do with why open source is a thing. I think it's like a, you know, that's it, that's like the cherry on top, not the not the actual cake, is my guess. Um, and I think that you said something interesting, which is that like the this idea that open source is somehow like at its core some sort of like good, you know, like a moral good. It is is something that I think is assumed by lots of people. And while I actually do think that it is, it has resulted in a moral good, I don't think that that necessarily was the reason that it became a thing, nor do I think it's the reason that it's sort of economically interesting. And I think it's wrapped up, people sort of, uh, cons- uh, they sort of cloak themselves in that and then see that doing work on open source themselves is a moral good, which again, maybe it could be, but I don't know that that's sort of at the core what open source is all about. So let let me pitch why I think it's a, it was a thing. So I think it's like back to the revenge of the nerds sort of idea, right? That I think that the, the, if you sort of think back to the, you know, rewind 20 or 30 years ago and think to what the kind of common sentiment was amongst, we'll call it nerds without money. Right. And it was this idea that like, Hey, if, if, you know, if we had, like we should rule the world because we're smarter and, you know, uh, but we don't cause you know, the world stinks and, and, but, but one day we will, yeah, one day the rule, the nerds will rule the world. And like, you know, that was like a trope in in movies and kind of a, a sentiment that was kicked around as a joke, et cetera. But I think that there was some truth to it, you know, that, that there was actually that goal. And I think that open source ends up being one of the linchpins and how that actually has happened. Cause if you fast forward to 2010, and like, if you were to tell like the 1980 version of me, what was going to happen in 2010, I was a little bit too young to say this in 1980, but 1988 version of me, maybe. And say like, well, it turns out that the, ner- the nerds do end up sort of ruling a lot of the world. And almost all the richest people in the world are either nerds or inherited money, you know, yeah. or people that exploited natural resources in one way or the other. Um, like, I think I would have been surprised like that. That's, that's a, um, even though, you know, there clearly was a possibility that that was going to happen. The question, you know, how in the world did they get enough capital? You know, was it a bunch of rich nerds that happened to have the intellectual and, and, um, educational sort of, uh, capital to spend plus they were rich so they could build these companies. And the answer is, well, no, they didn't need the capital. Turns out that they could just sort of leverage their, you know, there's, there's sort of concentrated skills and intellect to build these, these companies that would end up dominating things. And, you know, beyond some of the original ones like Microsoft, the modern ones are all built on open source software. And I think that like what open source software was, was a way for the sort of technocrat class. You know, these are business minded, um, technical people, basically, you know, smart people with a business interest, I suppose. Uh, a way for them to sort of band it together as a class and say, Hey, guess what? Guess what we have is we have uh, technical capabilities and some time, but not enough money. And what if we band together, pool our collective sort of technical skill and uh, um, 
take a thing that right now requires tremendous capital, which sort of puts us as the worker class underneath the capitalists, you know, in the pursuit of these businesses and instead gives us uh, the ability to basically pursue businesses without much capital, you know, not none, but much less and certainly much less early, right? Because we don't need to buy all this software. And furthermore, we cannot, not just that we don't need to buy the, the uh, initial, but we can uh, the initial software, but that we can sort of control our own destiny and not have to sort of, uh, um, be in bed with these, these companies that make software that are inferior to what we can do. And so like, if we band together and build software, we'll, we'll, and drop the price to zero, then we can start things without the need for capital. And then we get to rule things without some rich jock that's doling out the VC getting in the way, at least in the beginning. And like, that's my theory about why actually open source became a thing. How, how is that? Does that jive with your, the way you see it? I feel like we're saying the same ish thing, except I am on like, you're speaking of it as an outsider and maybe I'm thinking of it as like an insider or something. I mean, to be perfectly blunt, like I've never really like had a big drive to actually contribute back to open source like where i'm like i'm gonna do this thing and it's gonna be open source or i am gonna go back and really like just contribute like i'm gonna contribute back right now to open source so like i'm definitely a leech in the system at the moment but i think that you know generally speaking i i think you're right but presuming you're your you know analysis is correct i think that it makes it even more gross in some ways when you know these large open source projects which some of you know some of which were started by just a bunch of nerds who kind of used it as a way to i guess gain power ultimately um right you know uh then create these extremely successful businesses and do not um you know at the very least contribute back you know, engineering time, I guess, to the project, you know, I, I don't know that like big companies or really just, you know, I don't know, profitable companies, or whatever should be giving like money back to these systems or whatever. But at the same time, I do think that, you know, the world would look very different if, or the world of open source software would look very different if, you know, these companies did take seriously, you know, we're not going to make, make, or we're, we're not going to rely on like our fork of rails. We're going to really just contribute back to rails consistently because our growth using rails can help drive, you know, can help move rails, the project in a good direction, which we can benefit from. And so we should really be focusing on giving back to that ecosystem by letting our team or engineers take time to go, you know, Hey, instead of monkey patching this, we're going to actually give a patch back to rails and may not always land, but you know, at some, some will and rails will be better because of that, you know, work at scale and not theoretical or at low scale or whatever, you know, um, I hear people say this, but I mean, I, at least my observation of what happens on all the open source projects that I use is that that does happen. Like the exception does not prove, you know, the, the rule here, which is like, yes, there are many cases where it doesn't happen, but if you look at the, you know, the sort of contribution activity on open source projects. I think it's actually remarkable how much flows back. Um, but I, but I don't think that that sentiment shared by, by everyone. I don't really think that's true. I think what you get is a couple of people who are quite passionate about that project and their passion is not 
um, I don't want to say not approved, but like not, uh, you know, necessarily supported or suggested by, you know, their, their, their day, their day to day work. You know, it's, it's, it's not their employer going, wow, you know, you're really good at rails. You should, you know, help us get some of this back into rails. It's like, wow, you're just, I'm just good at rails. And so I'm going to do it at work and I'm going to bring some back to rails, which is good, you know, but I think that relies on that employee's ability and time to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, and the res- in the resentment is that what people want for the company to say, okay, take the next week or every Friday or whatever, some or amount whatever, of time. yeah, some I mean, amount if, of time. And if you feel like you have a unique, if you have a unique perspective, you know, like there's actually something of value. Um, I, I don't, I don't really like the idea of like time being, you know, twenty percent or whatever. But like, you know, if you do something and you're like, wow, damn, this is actually really good. We should make this change to how Active Model does x y and z you know and then go okay well i want to spend time getting this back into rails like on the clock uh you know i think that's the piece that's just a little different the part that doesn't sort of ring true though to me about that is that most companies and this isn't true obviously for everyone but but most companies would see the cost of uh, being on a fork of a library over a long term period and and not and sort of having to maintain it independent of the main trunk you know that that if you let's take rails as an example so if you forked rails at you know two three or whatever it is and then stay on that for the next 10 years that there you are taking on a significant burden because then the libraries over time are no longer going to be developed for that so now you're going to have to not you know you're not going to be able to use open source software for some amount of the functionality that you know is in the the open source space, you know, uh, things like, uh, you know, security and other, other things that, that I think the community does a good job on. You may have to eventually sort of port back yourself or pay someone to. So the idea, I mean, the idea that there isn't strong incentive for someone to contribute back the modifications that they make, um, in order to stay on the kind of main branch of the repo. I mean, that that's, it's not totally consistent with what I've seen companies do, which is, you know, they, they may end up on their own fork because of bad management, but not typically because of a strategy. Yeah, no, but I mean, who said anything bi- about business's strategy? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I do think though, in I, I, I think you're right, but in reality, you know, the engineers might know that a fork is a bad decision, but general, you know, I would say generally that, you know, once that fork is made or whatever, and you're cruising along as a business, you know, six months or whatever, uh, doing well, I don't, I don't know a lot of business people, uh, you know, in giant air quotes, wearing suits or whatever are going, we should get that back into the main line so we can protect ourselves from future problems. Like, I do think that that's something that you know, smart people think and, and do and worry about, but I, I do not necessarily believe that that's uh you know, standard. It's never been. And the places that I've worked, well, it's really not standard. I just don't think it's that I'm not sure which one's more common, but it's not obvious to me that one uh, status quo is more common than the other. In other words, I like, mean, uh, if you, the smaller you are, I mean, here's my guess. The smaller your organization, the more likely it is you're contributing back. The larger, the more likely it is you get ideas that you can just sort of go at yourself. And maybe on the small side, there would be two classes. There's like, you know, the one that's just trying to survive and is going to be ultra short-term focused. And therefore, you know, just they, they don't have the balance sheet to be concerned about the longer term. And they're just going to do whatever they have to do. 
And then there's the smaller, more healthy operations that are going to balance short and long-term relatively well. And then there are the big companies. I suppose big companies have this dichotomy too, where, you know, there are big companies that get delusions of grandeur and, uh, and, you know, want to go at their own, uh, on all sorts of things or get hyper-focused on the short term because not because of survival issues that are like the same sort of balance sheet survival. Well, I guess they are. I mean, they're balance sheet survival issues in that they're, you know, like the, the rapid burn and expectation of growth or death, you know, I guess is similar to the existential crisis of the little guy that's barely squeaking it by. But I'm just saying that I think that there are companies, tons of companies in both categories and that the existence of some that are too short-term focused to do the thing that's good for them long-term is not obviously evidence of a problem and and that's not a problem that's unique to their relationship to open source i mean i think that just is their business if you audited everything that they do they're going to be short-term focused on all sorts of things and going to mortgage the future in all areas of their business and saying that it's like a industry problem that the company you know companies that are short-term focused make short-term decisions that don't help us as a community well you know yeah sure and good luck changing that because that's sort of fundamental to who they are and how they make decisions in the first place which is just to say, I think that, I think that it's 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 presented as this sort of obviously troublesome relationship between businesses and open source software. That I I I, I don't know. I'm not. It's not obvious to me that 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 it, it it's uh, that the problem isn't just a sort of obvious manifestation of the short term thinking of some companies. That's going always going to be there no matter what. There's absolutely no way to change it. And, you know, there are plenty that are long-term focused and we get to benefit from those. But it sounds like you're not, you're not totally with me on that. No, no, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's as like half and half or like inevitable as you think, you know, I don't think that there's like some big thing that we can do that's going to make it all better or whatever. But I, I do think that that behavior will not, you know, as, as being tech, you know, uh, What's the word I want to use? You know, being a developer, you know, if if your hypothesis is true that, you know, at some point it was like, let's open source because this will gain me power. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true anymore. You know, I think, you know, open sourcing can potentially give you fame, question mark, internet fame, fake internet fame. But I mean, I, I, I'm curious if it's true that, you know, Hey, I open source now. I'm going to be a popular, good developer, or whatever. You know, I doubt that's probably very true. And so, in your case, it seem it would seem like things should be correcting towards less open source, right? In my, in, from what I think, yeah. I mean, no, it, it, it seems so sort either. of like an inevitable conclusion of of saying, you know, well, if if you're short term, you're always going to be thinking short term, and if you're long term, you're always going to be thinking long term. And, you know, no, I think that there are some company. No, 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 no. That's not what I think. So I think that there are some com companies that are short term focused that are going to make bad decisions uh, in terms of what's even good for them. I mean, in other words, I'm not making an argument that they should give back about, about the companies. I'm saying that they're making bad decisions about their medium term future because, um, well, they're making what look like bad decisions actually is a better way to say it. Well, because that's the thing I think that's really important here is that I, I don't know that they are, right? Well, like, that's what I'm going to say. That, that it, it may, they may have incentives. 
As that, long as there's enough uh, laborers in the open source system, then I mean, it's not important. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is no. This is where I think that you. That, this is the off the rails bit that I that I don't buy into at all. <laughs> I really enjoy being that. I'm the I'm the switch in all of our arguments that is like brings us off the track. <laughs> well, no, I mean, here's what I mean by that. Like, like, uh, uh, the company is just hurting them. Like the company that does not contribute the patch to, let's say, Rails that allows them to stay on, um, you know, master over time. You know, whatever the main line of Rails is, they're just hurting themselves, right? I mean, they, like now they're going to have to deal with the maintenance, and that's costing them, um, as I'll say, more than it's costing the community. I think it's weird that the community focuses on how they should get back. Because, you know, I, I mean, frankly, if it, it, it's probably in their best interest, too. And if they're not, um, you know, maybe, maybe their incentives are such that they, uh, the, the discount rate, so to speak, on their capital is so high that they have to focus on the short term. And you know what? Do we really want people that are that short term focused as sort of our key collaborators in building this asset that we as a class get to leverage? Um, I don't know. And I think that the we as a class, I said that on purpose to get back to this sort of key point, which is I think the role of open source is to give technical, I'm going to say this carefully. Hmm. So both technical people, I'm going to call them the technocrat class, right? Like, so uh, people who individually have the skills to make things, you know, um, and their organizations, now their organizations could be their companies, their you know could be nonprofits or governments or whatever. But, but 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 really the point is the te the technocrat class. Now the point of open source software is to give the technocrat class power, and that power is to control the components that are in the things that run the world, to reduce the cost of starting businesses such that they can start them without having to go to Daddy Warbucks for the funding, so that they can build. Um, um, you know, they can build organizations that may not be profit motivated, but, but same point as the, uh, as building companies that they can build things with, you know, building blocks that they own. And it's not that they actually own it. It's that no one owns it. And that creates this, this capability. It sort of removes the need for them to collaborate with the capitalist, right. To get done what they want to get done. And I think the trouble is that when we don't see that that's the value of open source, when we see it instead through the lens of just like the individual, you know, aw shucks developer, it's sort of missing what it actually is. You know, what it actually is, is a much more um, sort of fundamental building block of a class sort of class centric. And I'm not saying that this is good or bad for what it's worth, but that it's empowering a class to come to power. That's, that's been the role of open source. And if you look at it through that lens, I mean, open source has been a, just a monster success and continues to be right. It's the engine that allows the nerds to, you know, attack whatever they want to attack. It sort of is, you know, has weaponized the nerds. Um, and it just feels a little To, to not see it as that. In other words, we, we have what we, what we meant to get with open source, which is this massive free set of building blocks that only the nerds can use to build the things that they want to build. And then to like moan that the companies aren't giving the thing, 
you know, back to it is sort of missing that this is, you know, the weapon of the nerds against the companies or against the capitalists and the existing companies. It's, 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 it's sort of showing that there is this dichotomy within the technocrat class between those that are, you know, th those that are interested in sort of taking their technical capabilities plus the, the sort of power of, of, what open source gives them and making things that are potentially destructive in those that just sort of want to work, you know, would just want to come and be. So I figured artists. it out. What? I figured out the problem. Yes. <laughs> I like money a lot. I think that's the problem. <laughs> I mean, like in reality, so when I'm hearing that, I'm like, I'm trying to like, I get what you're saying and I'm trying to like sort of bring my argument to like, okay. Well, I think you like money as, so this is going to get personal, but I think you like money as an employee. I don't think you you understand money as a business person yet. Right, right, right. But so, but my, but my, where I'm kind of going with this then is, is, um, one, thank you for that. But two, <laughs> no, I, that's not an insult. I'm saying <laughs> no, that there's a, there's a switch where you're like, Hey, give me money to, right, right, right. to, to the company. And then there's yeah, yeah, yeah. where you go, no, 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 I'm going to make money. There's a difference between those two. Ideas. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But, I, but I, I guess what I'm, what I would like to understand better from your side is, so if it's, if it's, you know, a technocrat that is, is doing open source because it sort of gives them more and more power, more and more control over, you know, um, the system at large versus, you know, the uh, capitalist company that is, you know, essentially just trying to make software to make money, you know, and, and then, you know, I have a relationship with a capitalist company, you know, because they're paying me. So what is the, you know, the friction between like a technocrat that, that is doing open source to sort of create more, you know, power opportunities for themselves or whatever. Like they, they still need to also m m make money in most cases. Right. Yeah. And but so I mean, like, most what's the them... relationship for that? You know, like what's, what's their relationship to that larger system? Because at some point, um, you know, I guess you could like do support for your open source project or something to not make money, but uh, to, to make, to make money and still retain essentially complete control over your sort of power exchange. But well, um, so, I mean, conceiving of the economy, the, the tech economy of being sort of selling technical things to technical people for technical purposes is, is I think, uh, missing where all the money is. Right. It's using technic technology as your in, you know, as a core supply, hopefully that's free to go and, uh, uh, bust up the money that's being made by companies that have existed already. And then taking, you know, sort of picking up a part of the pieces and put them, putting them in your pocket. It's sort of a weapon against the existing infrastructure of every industry, whether it's healthcare or education or transportation or food or hospitality or whatever. Right. But, but I mean, the, I think that, I think that there's a segment of the technical world that just doesn't see outside of technology. And they, they think of being in technology as making technology things to sell to technologists for technology, you know, technological purposes. And that's not what most businesses, most businesses like, you know, there's a, company down the road that's a landscaping company and they come and do the landscaping at all the local businesses and there are you know 
150,000 of those across the country. And most business is about saying, well, how much profit do they make? And can, if I added up, you know, 150,000 of them times $60,000 a year and whatever those numbers turn out to be, what if I took all the profit that they make and I eliminate it and I take 10%, how rich am I? And can I, use, you know, how do I get that done? How can I use technology to do that? That's where most businesses that make tons of money do it. Right, that they're you know maybe they're creating value, maybe they're shifting value, but the technology is their weapon in getting that done, and you know they can wield the weapon, but those hundred fifty thousand you know uh, landscapers can't, uh, practically speaking at least. So obviously they want that weapon to be as cheap as possible, and they share you know all those all the would be people that make the landscaping destruction companies have the same interest, which is to have a bunch of Legos that are free that they can assemble into weapons against the sort of status quo. You know, at least that's how I see it. Yeah, it, that makes it seem like even grosser, though. Well, like, I mean, maybe it's gross, maybe it's not, but I, that's sort of okay. not even my point yet. Like, I'm not saying this is good or bad. I'm saying that this is how I see what open source is, which is the, you know, the Legoification of free building blocks for nerds to destroy industry and make money basically. And like we can get to whether that's morally good or bad or neither. And I think that's an interesting, you know, conversation, but like, I think it's, it's good to just try to figure out, Hey, why the heck does it exist? And like, what role does it play first before you get to the, you know, sort of, more, um, Oh man, I coughed, <clears throat> get to the, like the moral assessment of it. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess I'm, 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 I'm hearkening back to episode. I don't remember the number, but whatever. Um, you know, where we kind of had this, this discussion about just, you know, will people, will more and more people be coding or whatever, you know? Um, and I guess, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I only say gross because it, it seems like the incentives for the people who are actually building open source code, like what is that incentive? Because those people aren't building those like break you down businesses, quote unquote, generally speaking. Right. Like, they're just kind of building these technology products. Like, so Mike Purim, right? Like, Sidekick guy. Um, you know, he has Sidekick, and Sidekick's, you know, quote-unquote open source, and, you know, but has a mildly restrictive license. And until you, like, you know, pay him money for, like, his, you know, com more commercial-friendly license. Um, and, and, like, you know... This gentleman is not like he built this open source, and I guess we can even disregard the like commercial side of it. But like, you know, he builds this system, he puts it out in the world, and then you know, one of a million new technology companies take it, use it to you know, let's just say, destroy the landscape company work faster or whatever, you know, in the background with more concurrency. <laughs> well, it's one of, it's one of 50 things they use to do. That. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 One of 50 things, but it's like, but he's not getting like a piece of that. Right. You know, like his like interest, like it's obvious that he, I mean, to me, it seems pretty obvious that he goes, Oh, well I can make money on this by doing a better license. And you know, I can, this can be my full-time job because of whatever. But like, I'm curious, you know, from like the incentive, where where the incentives are for open people for the people today like to continue you like being a core contributor on rails or even honestly like you like i feel like with you and um and and stop me if i'm wrong but with json api i think one of the one of your incentives is you you just believe this is right you know like you want that to be more prevalent right 
Well, I think control. So yes, that's true. Um, and I think it's, I think it is worthwhile to think through why. And I think, I, I think that the, so I think it's good to do that. I also think that, um, there's nothing like looking carefully at something to help you not understand what it is, right? Like, you know, the, the forest and the trees. Um, so what I mean by that is that I think generally speaking that the most common reason to work on open source software is to, is to create, you know, more control. And like, maybe that is some grandiose, like we want control as a technocrat class of the building block so we can go destroy things. Maybe it's that, maybe, maybe that's not exactly the goal of everyone, but that was an output of the sort of movement. And then it got co-opted by people that are both technical and sort of greedy. Uh, maybe that's true. Um, maybe in like Mike's case, and I don't know for sure, but I think in Mike's case it started as, you know, he wanted control of a background worker for, for the company he was working for, which I think is mm -hmm. accurate. And, uh, you know, he just wanted, he didn't want to use someone else's thing cause he thinks he's smarter than they are and wanted to build it himself. And, and, you know, he's probably as smart as they are and he did be able to build it himself, but then wants some help maintaining it, uh, and wants a little bit of notoriety, right? Wants his Ruby hero award and all perfectly reasonable, good things to want. And then at some point goes, geez, you know, I uh, don't want to work for the climb or wherever he was working anymore. And it turns out that this thing has created an option for me and control and options are the two words that I think are the key with open source, right? You know, once you control the thing, you have options and whether the option is to assemble, reassemble them all into a, you know, Megatron to go after an industry or whether it's to use the sort of notoriety that you've gotten from, from releasing this thing that you control to then sell follow on services and products. Yeah. There's sort of flavors of the same idea, which is, you know, uh, many possibilities are created once you control the stack in, in one way or another, either as a class or as an individual, or at the very least, if some company doesn't control it, right. Sort of busting it out from the commercial world into its, into sort of a piece that can be reassembled creates options. Now there's a reason why there aren't many Mike Params, right? And, and I think the idea that that's the answer for open source is silly. Of course. Oh yeah. Silly. No, that's not my argument to be clear. No, and I didn't think it was. Okay, good. <laughs> no, but, but no, I mean, sometimes it's, I, I, yeah, no, I, 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 I've heard the same, I've heard the same sort of argument that like, look, it's working for him. Like all projects should work this way or whatever, you know? Um, I mean, I, I feel like the thing, the, the, the thing about this, especially your, um, your, your argument, the, the thing about it that interests me so much is it seems so clear why a company would want to work the way it works, why an assembler or a hacker, we'll call them in the middle, like works the way they work. I, I get sort of the control side of open source, but I would have to guess that most open source projects the contributors are not in a place of control, right? Like most open source projects must only have like, I mean, so many core team members and, you know, and then I guess you contribute, contribute, contribute and hope that you're a core maintainer at some point, yeah. at which point you have more control. The vast majority, I think 90, if we were to like audit, I bet 99 point whatever percent of projects there aren't non-core contributors. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. It's I, very, I, very few that but, have but so I, big. That I bet that if you looked at the ones that are highly used, 
um, like libraries.io has a funny page that's like, you know, really highly used projects that have like one core contributor, <laughs> like one contributor period. Um, but I, I, you, you, and you, you may be right. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I, when, well, but the, I, what if there isn't an answer? I mean, in other words, it, it could very well be that, um, there is, a um, a pretty big demographic of people that have more uh, time than they have money and they don't have as much skill as they have talent. Let's just, let's, let's put that as a, as a group, right? Mm -hmm. People with more time than money, people with more talent than Mm -hmm. uh, experience and like skill developed skill and open source is great. It's like a foil for them, you know? And, and, you know, so they work on it just to get better, right? It's something Mm -hmm. to work on. They got to work on something. And that's something where you get, you know, there's a feedback loop. There's the possibility for sort of parlaying your, um, you know, parlaying your, your experience in, uh, some sort of successful patch into to other things and what the hell. And so I think that that's a group. I think that there's another set that just likes to program, right. And then, and that's a group, right? it, it, even when they have less time and they have maybe more money and they have more skill that it's a hobby and programming it. I mean, it's certainly a hobby for some people. Yeah, and, sure. And, and the fact that it's a hobby doesn't mean—I mean, that doesn't like uh, maybe the compensation is just that it's they, they get to work on what they want to work on, and they want to work on it for whatever the hell reason. Mm-hmm. Um, now you ask me like why I do it. Um, you know, I, I generally program alone. Um, so I think there, <laughs> there, there are a few reasons why I do it. But I don't always program them. So I, I do programming <laughs> in, you know, teams to some degree. But I, I have worked on many things alone now. And open source is nice because it's not that alone. You know, it's, it's you, you're at least teaming with some other people on something. I kind of like that. Something like JSON API resources, I decided I was betting on JSON API, which I'm thrilled I did. I think it was definitely the right bet. Um, and I saw that that project wasn't far enough along that I, I felt like it was definitely the winner, but I thought that it probably could be. Um, and I wanted to use it, but, but, uh, there was a, there was some distance between where it was and it being kind of one Oh ready. And, uh, there also, uh, was some time before the, the final 1.0 version of JSON API was out. So I kind of wanted to just ensure that my bet on JSON API turned out right. Cause I, I was using it in some things. Right. And I kind of had to, I was like my insurance policy against sure, sure. Um, that failing. And then, you know, there end up being other reasons that I like Dan and Larry. So that's a reason to get involved. And then, then, um, right. Then who knows? Then I ended up writing a, a few, a few pretty big patches that fixed sort of things that were quite important. I think before it got quite as popular as it has now. And then, you know, they asked me to help out. So, you know, reasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, will I? And I think one of my main roles with JSON API resources, which has been to make it more popular, which has been interesting, right? So it's gotten a lot more popular since I've promoted it a lot. And uh, now I'm not saying that that's entirely the reason; it's certainly not, but it hasn't hurt. Um, and uh, you know, so part of it's that, like I'm promoting something which I think more people in the boat is better for me, and better for Rails, and better for. Um, things that I'm working on. So, you know, I'd like to be involved to make sure that the thing that I'm pitching, you know, is, is going okay. And so then let's say Microsoft, I don't know, giant ass company, uh, pick, pick yours, uh, 
comes and goes, you know what? We're going to use JSON API resources in all of our web services now because X, Y, Z, right? And so they start using it and then they're like, but we just want to give you money <laughs> to keep it going, <laughs> to make sure it sticks around. Like, I feel like that's an, one of these kind of weird quasi inevitable conclusions that sort of starts to happen, you know? It's like, yeah. how, how do we start handing money to these projects? Because it's just easier to do it that way. Um, and incentivizes the people that already got us to this point. Well, well, that's their goal, at least, to incentivize the people that have already gotten it this far. Um, I have I have never been in a position where that will hap- that has happened to me, you know, and who knows what the future holds. But I, I'm be curious, since you're a lot closer to that, what that feels like or looks like on your side. You well, know? I mean, my, I think that my point of view won't necessarily be shared by everyone but um, on this, but I don't think there's any room for money in open source at all. So, so why? Um, so, and, and what I mean by that, and then I'll answer why. What I mean by that is that if you want to contribute, you contribute time. And that's, that's, the, that's the currency of open source software. There is no money currency. You cannot convert money into time. So what if I hired someone to contribute on my behalf? That's fine. And I'm not, I'm not being hypothetical. I mean, I'm not no, trying I'm to saying be that. A... I'm totally mean that's fine. Because, you know, okay. I mean, the, the corporation is like a, you know. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of large companies just do that, right? That's... They just go and hire an employee and go go work on this open source project full time, you know? To- totally fine. Okay. Because like, the, in my opinion, so I mean, the corporation sort of is like an, you know, it's not, I mean, I don't actually think it's an individual, but you know what I mean by this. It's like. Oh boy! No, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm <laughs> next drawing... week on the last episode of the Ruby on Rails no, podcast. No, I, I am putting myself firmly in the camp that says it is not an individual. <laughs> so to be clear, but I mean, it acts as one. Sure, of course. Right. So, like, can it contribute its time? Sure, of course it can. So the reason that I'm against money changing hands for time and open source is that it, um, it changes the con it sort of changes the relationships between those involved. And I'll give an analogy. So let's say I was moving and we live close to each other. And I said, uh, Hey Kyle, I'm moving. Um, can you give me a hand like loading the truck or moving the couch or whatever? Um, it is a completely unacceptable for me to give you money for that. In my opinion. Now I think it's acceptable for me to, do something that's like an act of generosity back, like make you dinner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, buy me a beer at the end. Buy you a beer. Yeah. Wh- whatever. Right. Like do something nice for you. That's fine. But if I give you money, it's sort of establishing a power structure that's commercial. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, uh, undermines the relationships sort of the, the sort of social fabric of our personal relationship. And open source software is a social deal amongst everyone that says, hey, guys, gals, we are going to team up and do a bunch of work. We're going to contribute our time. And then out of that, we get this sort of collection of assets that we can reconfigure for whatever purposes that we want. And the like time is the only thing that is a, a sort of a, a tradable thing here. And as soon as you sort of bring in money trading for that time, it sort of disrupts that social fabric of what open source is the same way that it would destroy, you know, some amount of the social fabric of our friendship. If I started to pay you for favors, I mean, I just want to be clear that I would always accept your money. (laughs) You know, 
<laughs> just this actually you- sounds pretty great right now. <laughs> I'm a really great employee. It's been determined. So, <laughs> right. Exactly. No, no, I think you're totally right. I mean, it, uh, it's uh, it's interesting, especially like it wrecks the-, the thing we like about open source. We like about open source that that's not the deal, right? That that like uh, contributing. I th- I, so I think I think. I would say I think what we like about open source is we understand the contract, which is I opt in every time I contribute back to this project. You know, like every if you if you create an open source project, you can stop at any moment. Like that is your contract with that project. It might be, be shitty for you or whatever, but at the end of the day, like that's the contract. And I think when these open source projects go on a Kickstarter and they start their big project and they make a hundred thousand dollars, right? They want to operate back on that old contract. Yeah. They want to operate on the, eh, this isn't interesting to me anymore. You should understand. You, you've done open source. I just happen to have taken $50,000. Yeah, it's not the deal anymore. You're not open source once you start to take money. Right, and which I agree. I think that that is the, the cognitive dissonance that we see in open source is that I do think there could be a way to, you know, somehow have money in open source. But I think the problem is that it would need to be so utterly explicit about the relationship that your the project would essentially itself need to become a corporation. But I mean, who... Like, if, if the benefit of open source is to, um, you know, uh, comes back to, you know, call it this class of people that can take advantage of open source, right? Which is my contention. That's That's what open source is for, right? It's this building blocks that we create for ourselves as technocrat so to speak that we can reconfigure for whatever purpose we'd like if if there's money involved like now what i mean because you know what what are they giving money to it's just it's not clear to me what how that that changes the deal um in a way that i'm not interested in Mm -hmm. you know i don't think that i don't i think that open source depends on um the social contract the same way that friendships do and that there's no room for money. And if someone wants to go get a job where some where you know an employer pays them to work on software that's mostly open source, go for it. But you're ascribing to open source software some sort of moral virtue that it doesn't have. Like this idea, like no, I only want to work on open source software. I want you to pay me for it. It's just, it's 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 immature. So would now be a bad time to ask to borrow some money. Yeah, right. I, I just don't, don't you think, I mean, it sounds judgy for me to say that, but <laughs> it's not super judgy, but I know where you're coming from. Right, I think <laughs> it's as imm- your friend, I can, I can take the judgment and just scrub a little bit away. <laughs> I, I, no, I just think it's like, it, it, it's like saying, Oh, I want, I, I want you to pay me to do something that I think is good because I think that you owe it to the community to do so. And I'm your vessel. What? Just, you know, grow up. <laughs> <laughs> is it kind of like patronage though? Yeah, but I mean, but, uh, okay. So I'm really enjoying this now, actually, <laughs> now that I feel like I have a, not, not a side. I just, I, I feel like I, 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 I feel like this is a very, this is a very interesting problem because I don't know that I had a good answer to why open source, like just in general. And you had a very good answer. Right. And so now I'm just really curious, like, you know, what does this mean get given this given given the sort of technocrat versus capitalist uh 
you know, piece like idea behind this. Um, let me tell you it, about app signal first. Now, no, which side of the argument are they on? <laughs> well, let me see if it's one of the bullets on this page. <clears throat> app signal is a monitoring tool for Ruby applications. Unlike other tools, they provide both performance and exception error monitoring for your web actions and background jobs. App signals, very well-crafted tool. A, <laughs> it's a very well-crafted tool. Is that written on the thing? Uh, no, it's just my... Uh, oh, okay, good. You know, I've got this glasses versus not glasses routine that I've always got going on in the podcast. And this oh, is a, man, we got to set up video for the next one. A victim of, you know, my glasses have fogged up now that I'm sitting in like 27 degree <laughs> weather. And it has affected my ability. Hey, to if leave. we don't finish this up soon, you're just going to be a popsicle by the end of this thing. Pretty much. All right. AppSignal is a very well-crafted tool with a very clean interface, which allows you to find the right debugging information within no time. Their pricing model is not based on some weird metrics, such as number of users, servers, or apps. Their pricing is purely based on the amount of requests they monitor for you. Everything else is unlimited. It's interesting doing this ad because now my body's used to the cold. The first one I was cold. Like, and I had some, like, chatter going in my jaw. Yes, was, yes. Which was hard. And I was like, oh, my God, I am I am um, experiencing the initial stages of hypothermia, and I am trying to read this. Now, apparently, I'm in the middle stage of hypothermia. If you because, only had some waffles, maybe you would be warm. Yeah, it's coming up. Well done, integrating that in. Uh, AppSignal has some amazing support. So uh, you can speak to a developer directly instead of going through some support person first <laughs> poor support people i know wow i know <laughs> that's that's what shout I'm... out to github support they're yeah. amazing save my life every day <laughs> well i mean i think that they're making some distinction between support and developer here which may not be oh boy entirely real but anyhow above all uh, they don't have any aggressive sales guys uh, they want to schedule calls with you they are nice Dutch people. <laughs> now, I, I assume <laughs> I assume that there are Dutch salespeople, but uh, oh god, anyhow. this is getting better. Keep it going. Uh, they're nice Dutch people that do that do send stroopwafels uh, to their customers around the world. And I will say, uh, well, let me read the last line, then I'll give my little personal story. So, pricing starts at nineteen dollars for monthly plans, uh, but to get ten percent off and a free trial of App Signal plus your stroopwafels. Uh, and that, that uh, free trials for 30 days without entering any credit card info, just visit appsignal.com slash five by five. So I mentioned the last two shows. I am a, a user of app signal. I love the product. I think it is exactly as they describe it. It is great monitoring. It's great exception handling. It is right down the middle. Nothing fancy. The pricing simple. You don't have to deal with any, uh, uh, salespeople, which I think is a huge negative of, uh, new relic. And it is true that when you have a problem, one of their programmers writes you back. I have had 100% of those experiences. They're all accurate. It's been a pleasure having New Relic as a sponsor. There goes that sponsorship. You know what? I, I honestly don't think I would do it. Oh, my God. Oh, man. So, all right. We're okay. independent people here, by the way, everyone. So <laughs> I'm a can, great employee. <laughs> Kyle can read that ad. Yeah, that's all you'll know. Oh, yeah. God. So yeah. good. I think that the product's pretty okay, but I just I couldn't, you know, the whole experience of, of them is not that good. That's why I like AppSignal, and Bam. you should give them a shot. So AppSignal. You know what? I bet I'd like AppSignal a little more if I went and gave it a shot. It will go to AppSignal.com uh, slash 5 by 5 and you can do so. I'm gonna. Okay. So 
back to uh, back to where we left off uh, about patronage. So, like, here's a very, if you don't mind me just drawing a parallel, which may or may not be accurate. So, are you familiar with Twitch TV? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, like, for those who aren't, Twitch TV is an online video streaming service that allows people who play video games to essentially play video games um, as entertainment, which many, many people can watch. So, you play a video game, usually the person's on screen sort of commenting on their experience and what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And so, for a very long time, right, it was just, like, watch twitch tv you just kind of watched it watched this nerd play video game and had a jolly good time and then now like and and then they implemented um like subscribers right so for five dollars a month i can pay and not see any advertisements or whatever and then a lot of these uh, uh twitch broadcasters decided oh hey i'll just add a donation box you know and so like if i add a donation box i can uh get like you know um like these sort of notifications will pop up on the screen during the stream and you can, you know, they'll acknowledge them and be like, Oh, Kyle, you gave me five bucks for, you know, reading that great sponsorship read and, you know, great job and whatever. Um, in, in, in to me, that's a very interesting, you know, use of patronage. I think that like, it's questionable whether it changes the dynamic, uh, questionable meaning I'm not sure if, uh, it changes the dynamic between me and the content. Presumably, presumably, and I think this might be one of your points, is that it does <laughs> it does change the relationship because the content will inevitably, I feel like inevitably starts skewing towards opportunities to receive more money. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I do think that that's a very interesting um you know, example or like Patreon, uh, I think it's patreon.com or whatever, which is basically just like a service like this. You know, you go up and say, this is what I'm going to do. Give me a couple dollars every month to keep me doing what I'm doing, you know, and their whole premise is that it helps creators do what they love or whatever. Um, but just make a little extra money now. So, I mean, I, I think, I think that my point of view about this is that I'd, I'd want to do a little research to see, cause I'm sure this has been studied ad nauseum, but that, Patronage to me seems to be limited to things that I would consider to be arts. And the way that I would define that, it, it, the, the place in the world that I see for patronage is for arts. And what I mean by arts are things that have no commercial value. Um, and so note, I didn't say like value. I'm just saying they don't have like, you know, <laughs> commercial value which is its own world of things that wouldn't exist just because the market wouldn't have them exist. Right. And so, uh, someone with significant wealth, whether that's the state that can, you know, that can pool the aggregate, the wealth of its citizens or individuals that just, you know, possess it themselves can underwrite something that they believe is good for the world that wouldn't exist, uh, in a, in a sort of, because of, as an output of the market forces. Okay. Okay. Uh, and that seems, that seems fine. Um, I think it's probably good. I, I think, um, you know, obviously there is a, a huge relationship between the patronage and the output of the artist, right? I mean, they're, they're the, um, without question, right? I mean, they're, they're the, as if there's money flowing, right? If, if I'm the uh, Medici family and I'm underwriting the, you know, the art for an entire city for an entire period of time, you can bet that the art will reflect my values, etc. And, um, 
you know, I mean, is that I mean, there's some good and bad in that. I think uh, it's not like they would have a monopoly on artistic output, and therefore it's probably not good as long as you sort of remember that that they have filtered what gets produced or amplified maybe what gets produced to some degree. Um, so back to the question about this, um, this is not arts. Uh, software does exist, does have commercial value and does exist without any, like, like it, it, it is not in the land of music and paintings and, um, sculpture. Uh, it is, uh, in my opinion, at least, or not, not, not the sort that we're usually talking about at least. Um, and I think that it's, it's the same kind of, uh, thinking that makes people think uh, that, that, that causes people to say that, that programmers are artisans and, you know, uh, uh, uh sort of similar to, to your craftsmen, etc. The kind of, uh, um, infuse their work with this kind of artist, this, uh, intrinsic good. Well, let's call arts intrinsically good and yeah, not just commercial good. And I think that, that, that that's a weird idea. And that like, I mean, yeah, of course there would be, there, there's certainly programming and software that would be in that class of things that's intrinsically good, that has artistic value. I think in general, that's not what people are talking about. And I think, do we need a patron to create things that are just like commercial building blocks? No, not like not even a little bit. I don't think, um, I think that it's, it's just a misunderstanding of what software is. Right, software is closer to a bullet than it is to a painting. I actually think that that I, I think that that sums up how I feel about it actually very well. <laughs> right, that like like if you see software, yes, as, a, gu- a gun analogy, perfect. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I, I am the, I am of all the people I know, the as hardcore anti-war, anti-violence as anyone that I know. Right, I, I, so so and and. Uh, I think that that's why I think that analogy works for me, which is that like to see software as the tool of creation and destruction, because you know if you kind of almost can't have one without the other, is a much more mature way to see it than to see it as a painting or a sculpture. I feel like I feel like when we have these discussions, Sean, it it just shows me how shallow my worldview is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're, you're just joking. <laughs> <Jerking around. laughs> I'm, I'm just over here. I mean, I feel like my keyboard could be a plunger. And... Oh, come on. I don't think about this a lot more than you do. I bet. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. This isn't, this isn't some weird self-deprecation. It's really just a matter of, I don't like when you, when we have these arguments, my, or whatever discussions, my, my like viewpoint, it was usually very shallow. Not not so much because maybe you think about it more than I, but just I don't. Your your view is so um, I don't know, like grandiose, like uh, not 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 in a bad way or anything, but just like you know, is typically not a great. I I'm trying to come up with a good like <laughs> adjective. It's just like I don't know, like you you ascribe so much power to software, and I don't disagree. I just think Oh, it's pretty powerful. That yeah, seems no, like a pretty easy one to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my that's my point is it's kind of like I I mean I definitely don't disagree at all. It's just I don't when I sit down and I'm like crapping out some code for something, I just don't feel that way. 
And so for me, when we joked about this the last time about open source and money, I was just basically, like you said, like jokes aside, like, yeah, like just hand me some of that money. Like, that sounds pretty good to me, you know, just over here shitting out this code might as well, you know, do a double dose and get some cash in the process. But now I feel like I want to like overthrow a government or something, maybe. <laughs> well, I think that my point of view about it, like, is no, that... like all, all, like I'm really not joking. I just don't have like the words to describe exactly how my whole world just got like <laughs> both. I got like imploded, right? Like a vacuum, and then all of a sudden there was so much combustion that just nothing, like nothing, can contain what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's like here's here's the way that I see. Um, kind of what you just said, which is that I I think it's a false choice to say that one either has to get lost in the detail, like of like sweating this particular, the, the you know, how this class is factored and what this method is named and, you know, what pattern I'll use to, you know, make this more, make this feature more durable in the future, right? Like, like you can deal with things at that level. And also zoom out and see how the work fits into the sort of bigger world of maybe your project or your company or your industry or your geography or your life or the world. And like, you don't have to be locked into one gear, right? Like, so it's not like, oh, now that I see that, you know, software is closer to a gun than a painting, you know, shit, man, I'm not involved. I am not like that, though. <laughs> that doesn't sound anything like me. <laughs> what do you mean? No, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I, I'm not mocking you. I know it comes from this, this this voice right here. This is usually the Kyle mocking someone voice, but I'm not. Like, I'm... It's more just that your your argument makes so much sense when it's framed in the way that you're framing it. You know? Like, you... I, I, I was just not coming to this argument from that point. So, I, I really wasn't. I was just thinking to myself that, like... Okay, well, what's the incentive for open source? And at the end of the day, it, it you know, it it has to be money. Like whether it's direct or indirect, I mean, no one is like. I mean, I don't know if this is true. I'm sure it's not, but it's like you know, I feel like most people aren't like just doing open source for fun and then going to their like you know whatever non coding job or whatever, which I'm, I, people must do. It must must, must happen quite a bit actually. But, uh, you know, I was definitely just thinking to myself that it was, it was far more linear than you're making it. But I do think that when you describe it as, you know, with, with, uh, describing it as primarily, uh, sort of act of power, you know, yeah, like uh, I, I totally get that. And I think I totally understand the social contract piece. Uh, qu- qu- quite a quite a bit that makes perfect sense to me but um uh, yeah i mean when well, and you're not a i mean you're not an you're not like an active whiny voice on this at all in any way and and i think that there is a quite a chorus of people that that do get very frustrated about um feeling like open source is an unfair deal for the programmers and like my only point on this is that that it's just helpful to zoom out a little bit and like say, hmm, like if it's the programmers that make open source uh, software and they keep making open source software, what's the chance that it's actually their tool of oppression? Like, because that's like the more obvious answer. Like, in other words, maybe, maybe I'm missing how I, the role I play in the class that I am part of as it tries to either fight slash team up with the capitalists, right? Like, and I'm not saying I like sit and think about that all day. 
right? Because that just would be, I don't know, navel-gazy and terrible. But, like, once in a while it seems reasonable to do so. You know, just to zoom out and say, like, just question whether this, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, this conventional wisdom around how, and whether it's open source or any other topic we could, could come up come up with, how, you know, that that somehow... You know, the programmer is the labor class getting exploited by the capitalists when in fact it's actually sort of the opposite. Not it's not exactly the opposite, but it's partially the opposite. I think if you if you zoom out at all, it gets clear that that's the case. It just shows sort of a lack of like you know, e- either so, that someone hasn't yet gotten that gear to sort of gear into fourth gear and take a zoomed out look, or that they that they uh, can't empathize with sort of the the they don't understand how they fit into the world. So maybe, maybe they've tried to, to, and they just don't, don't see it. Um, and you know, I don't know. There we go. That's a frustration of mine. So I've now voiced it. Man. <laughs> do you have a, do you have a cigarette or something I could borrow real quick? Well, part of, I think part of the last thing on this for me, and then we have to do a sponsor and then it'll be the last thing. So is, uh, we don't want to take money <laughs> ruins the contract. Exactly. So I didn't program until I was older, right? I, I didn't really program at all until I was in my thirties and <clears throat> I did spend most of my time thinking about these things, right? So I was like head of strategy for two big public fortune 500 companies. And, um, you know, that, that job is kind of what you imagine it would be to some degree, which is like awesome. <laughs> I don't know if it's awesome. There are awesome parts to it. That's true. Um, there are also really bad parts to it because like, uh, it's not abstract, like, like, like the, the mechanics of capitalism are not abstract in that job. They're very concrete. They're very real. Um, (laughs) and you know, capitalism's kind of pretty awful to look at that. I mean, it's, it's very destructive and has terrible parts to it and is best case amoral. And, you know, so like. But, but a lot of, you know, I spent a lot of years getting paid to, to sort of plot, you know, plot how to win. And, and then it was much later that I learned how to program. So I sort of brought all that baggage with me and it was, it, it, it felt clear how programming fit into the bigger picture. And maybe your point is the, what I'm missing, which is that most people didn't start to program after having a career in of that sort. So maybe the context wouldn't be so clear. Like maybe I think that's, that's what I'm not missing. incorrect. Anyhow, I'd love to tell you about Braintree. <laughs> what does that blood-sucking capitalist corporation do? <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so Braintree is an easy way to accept multiple payment types with one integration. It's quick, knowledgeable developer support. Um, uh, will uh, help you out if you've got any questions. You can start accepting Apple Pay, PayPal, Bitcoin, Venmo cards and whatever's next all with a single integration with the braintree v.0 um, sdk one small snippet of code and you're all set up in less than 10 minutes to start accepting payments you can learn more uh, i'm really cold right now <laughs> uh, you can learn more if you go to braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast if you do that you're going to get your first uh, fifty thousand dollars in transactions fee free uh, again, braintreepayments.com slash rails podcast. They accept just about everything. It's going to take you very little time to get things set up. 50,000 bucks in transactions fee free. If you need help, they are there with uh, libraries and support to give you a hand. 
Thanks to Braintree for sponsoring yet again. All right, so let's summarize. Uh, did, did I did I convince you of anything? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, I think you've made a very clear argument about, I mean, uh, you know, why open source? Like, why should I do an open source? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think that you've clarified my original thinking around just how the contract changes. I think that's crystal, crystal clear. Um, I'm going to keep letting this bounce around and the, the old noggin around uh, <laughs> letting uh, letting um, companies stop their whining around, you know, whether they're directly supporting open source or not. Uh, but I think one thing I didn't say that I would be remiss uh, not to is I think that open source software is an unequivocal good in the world. I think it is a wonderful... Um, a wonderful thing that's happened. Now, I think that like any anything that is wonderful and that has great power, it's used for all sorts of bad. Like, I mean, are there losers because open source exists? Sure. But I think the world's far better off. Far, not even close, far better. Right, because it's a tool that any organization can use to build things. And, you know, yeah, sure, capitalist organizations can build the things, but that's just, you know, capitalists fighting capitalists and, you know, one wins, the other loses, whatever. Uh, but the world ends up with a bunch of building blocks that it can use to do great things. And I think that it's, it gives capabilities for those that didn't have money in the first place to do things. And I think that's a good, you know, I think, does it, does it probably, uh, hasten the sort of class power money concentration into the technocrat class? Probably. But, um, you know, I think net net the world's a lot better. So, you know, in other words, just because I said it was closer to the bullets than the paintings doesn't mean that I, I think, I, I think it's completely great. Um, um, but that doesn't mean it, you know, it can be completely great and also a tool of capitalist destruction all at the same time. Hmm. <laughs> there we go. What could go wrong? Yeah. Plenty. <clears throat> all right. So, you think the Patriots are winning right now? I was going to say, I think they already won, actually. <laughs> game over. I don't even think the game's that far in, actually. It is uh, in the second quarter. Oh, doggy. And the Colts are up 14-10. Oh, wow. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Except for tomorrow. God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm barely known. And I'm in the middle of this, uh, speaking of strange, um, strange incentives, uh, I'm in the middle of, of coding this this uh, software that I'm donating, and I'm, I've live-streamed every second that I've spent on this project so far. And people seem to really like it. I've heard tons and tons about it. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll, 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 uh, you'll see when I'm going to do that and get links to all of those little live-streams of building this JSON API-compliant uh, server and Ember app. So please, f please, uh, please do so if you're interested. Uh, and I am uh, K Daigle on Twitter and GitHub. And since I don't have anything cool to <laughs> share with you, I'm just gonna pimp this podcast. Uh, it'd be awesome to get some more ratings on ye old iTunes. So uh, if you like the new direction of the show, since you know the awesome episode 192, a classic, uh, please go to iTunes. Give us a rating. Share it with your friends. Uh, we'd love to sort of 
up the up the ante here. Bring on some interviewees that could be pretty badass, and we would love the support. So share the podcast with a friend on Twitter. Uh, go to iTunes, give us a rating, or wherever you find your podcasts, uh, and we'd appreciate that very much. And Product Hunt, too. We didn't really chat about the last one on Product Hunt. I think there may be a little bit more to chat about this time. Um, so uh, someone will post it to Product Hunt and if you want to chat about the... Chat about the episode. Probably me because, you know, as someone who just wants the sweet, sweet karma, I <laughs> rush around posting things. So yeah. check us out on Product Hunt 2 now. All right. Well, until next time. Adios. See.